There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Don Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday and your host as we talk transport woes and the importance of having the right culture. And of course, we'll be sharing brilliant and free advice from the boardroom. We're also joined this morning by Brian Duffy, Chief Executive of the Watches of Switzerland Group, and our regular guest, Stuart Patrick, Chief Exec of Glasgow's Chamber of Commerce. Don't forget, if you ever miss an episode, simply subscribe to the Go Radio Business Show podcast. And if you have a question for Tom and Willie, please email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. So, gents, let's start with Partygate and Sue Gray's damning report. What's your take on it, Tom? And from a business or leadership perspective, how important is the right culture? Okay, Donald. So, I think this is quite simple. Back in 2020, the government brought in the most draconian measures that, in my lifetime, you know, you couldn't attend a loved one's funeral. You couldn't go to a nursing home to see loved ones. I mean, it was it was incredible, the measures. And I hate being told what to do, and especially by the government. But Boris Johnson went on TV and said, this is for the greater good. This is what you need to do. And I got it, and I did what I was told. Now, the simple thing is, those who made the rules broke the rules. And they broke them often, and they seemingly thought they didn't apply to them. That's the bit that sticks in my craw. It didn't apply to them. Well, it did apply to them. The trust is broken. Game over. Out you go. Your position is untenable. You can't stay in the leader of the UK, a country I'm very proud of, and I'm afraid he's not going to go by his own volition. It's going to be the voters that are going to have to tell him because he doesn't think the rules apply to him. But in the ballot box, and I must tell you, and Willie knows more about this than me, the Tories aren't slow at culling their leaders if they think they're going to lose them an election. They are very swift to stab people in the front. But Boris Johnson is not fit to govern this country. He needs to go. Do you agree? <laughs> I would have thought, <laughs> Willie. <laughs> Remembering that this is a business show, let's try and give a, a business analogy of what's happened here. This is like the executive wing in my office, my FD, um, operations director, HR director, who all sit very close to me. So we work, just like it would be in number 10. You can read into it, if everyone here is having 22 parties, it's because they got the nod from me. This came from the top. He was not an innocent bystander stumbling into a small drinks reception, his birthday, whatever. All of that came because it was absolutely encouraged from the top. So all of these parties was because that, that culture was encouraged from the leader. And there's absolutely no doubt in my mind. When Dominic 
Cummings became the story, then he had to go. Boris Johnson has been the story now for months and months and months. And it just shows you how bad, right, the gene pool is to pick another leader, as Tom says, or Boris Johnson would have been stabbed in the front a long, long time ago. So for me, for Boris Johnson to remain uh, as Prime Minister after the report last week just tells you there is absolutely no moral compass in relation to him. So if you were a business leader and you've got the culture wrong so badly as say Boris has, should you be given a chance to change it? You know, should a business allow you to do that or basically you culpable, you should be out? I think Boris Johnson has proven over the last years he's not capable of changing. This DNA, this slight regard for everything that is correct, that he has absolutely no chance of changing whatsoever. So this will continue. But if you're a business leader, yeah. right, and you're running, you recognise that you've got your culture wrong, but you're really responsible for it. Yeah. Is that a case where they should be given a chance, or is it too late for them? I think he's had more chances than anyone. If this was a PLC company, it would be voted out. Right? The shareholders, the investors and the board would be saying goodbye, Mr Chief Executive. I totally agree with Willie. Leaders set the tone of an organisation, Donald, and they set their tone by their actions more than their words. When I was running a big company, you know, I was first in the morning, I was last out at night, I set the tone. People watch the leader and they take their cues from the leader. As well, he said, this doesn't happen. If Boris Johnson has said, right, buckle down here, we've set these rules. We need to be above reproach here because I've asked the country to make a huge sacrifice and I, as the leader of this country, need to be capable and to be seen to be making the same sacrifice. I'm actually sorry to say this, but I think this stems into Boris Johnson and his own upbringing and privilege, he doesn't think the rules apply to him and he needs to go. 100% Tom. So what are the key things that you look for when creating the right culture? For me, obviously the values of our business and the culture is all about being fair, doing the right thing, being honest. Everyone, everyone who worked in my senior management team, maybe a group of 12 people, they actually know what is right and wrong. Don't come, they don't have to come and ask me. So that, for me, is what a good leader does, that people understand the rules, understand what you do, and understand what is right. I very, very seldom get a call from any of my senior management team when a decision's got to be made about what was right and wrong. They absolutely know and understand. What about you, Tom? Yeah, I totally agree with, with Willie. The, the leader sets the tone... And that's a really important thing in a business, you know. And there will there will come times where leaders need to make tough decisions, but everybody's watching you. And they're going, I maybe don't agree with that, but I understand why he or she had to make that decision. And fair enough, and they get on with it. But see, if you're saying one thing and doing another thing, that is rule number one, which you just cannot do. And Boris has broken that rule. But as I say... He doesn't see it that way and he won't resign and therefore it's going to have to be at the ballot box. And as I say, the Tories are very quick to cull those who think they're going to lose them in the election. Especially when he's set precedent by sacking his number one advisor for breaking the rules. So that actually, there's no debate now. 
one set of rules for everyone else and one set of rules for me. Well, talking of leaders, Nicola Sturgeon became Scotland's longest-serving First Minister this week, been in power for seven years and six months. Tom, from a business and enterprise point of view, what has she achieved for Scotland? First of all, it's it's quite a record, um, Donald. So the voters and the electorate, again, we live in a democracy, whether you agree with it or not, are still voting for Nicola. Therefore, she still has a huge swathe of support in our country. I would say from a business point of view, it's not been a good premiership. I mean, the last time I actually met with our First Minister was maybe three or four years ago. And listen, I'm not going about looking for meetings with ministers, but from an enterprise point of view, she has not engaged with business. She has not understood the importance of business to the whole country. You know, as I say in the Hunter Foundation, we believe the best social policy ever written is a decent paid job. And who creates the jobs? The entrepreneurs, the business people. And therefore, she has not engaged with that community. And I think Scotland's worse off because of that. Willie? In my own experience, uh, I think the sad thing about this reign is that the SNP administration have probably got closer to businesses they believe that supported independence. And that I think that's been a bad thing. I think it's been a bad thing for them and I think it's been a bad thing for the country. I would like to see going forward, especially with a new 10-year plan, that the government were open to invite everyone who support any party or who are for independence or not. Um, and to be honest with you, I'm with Tom. I would have to say that... In business terms, I don't think that um, we've made any great strides forward. A St Andrews University business professor has accused the Scottish National Investment Bank of being, and I quote, unfocused and ill-conceived with a vagueness that has created unhelpful mission creep. Is that fair criticism, Tom? (laughs) So, Professor Ross Brown is good for column inches, Donald, that's for sure. He's always controversial. He's always got a point of view. So what do I think? I was worried about the Scottish National Investment Bank because I thought it was a bank designed by politicians and that would be a bad thing. And in its objectives, it's talking about, we've got a a bank for the green agenda, for infrastructure, for regeneration, for reducing inequality and to propel Scotland in the small and medium-sized business and enterprise. Now, those are very different objectives, and can they be done by one bank? I'm not so sure. But let's be positive for a second. So the politicians have chosen Willie Watt, and Willie Watt is a good guy who knows what he's doing. So what I would say to the politicians is, okay, you've did your important job, now stop interfering and let them get on with it. That's the bottom line. I think the honest answer is it's too early to say whether the the Scottish Investment Bank has been a success or not. But what I would say is, certainly I hope it doesn't follow in the footsteps of the SFT. The SFT was set up for for one particular function. You know, it was the the new way of how we're going to do with PPIP, you know, PPP. I hope 
that Willie grabs the metal here and will shake things up and Snib will end up being a success. The problem with the Scottish National Investment Bank is, on the face of it, it just looks like, you know, it was a big announcement about it's £2 billion over 10 years. So that's only £200 million a year. Right, so it won't take long with the amount of projects that are going about for Willie and the team there to invest that amount of money. But also, what I'm a wee bit disappointed in is it just looks like the money that Scottish Enterprise used to give out. So it doesn't look like new money. So I would just like to see, you know, a wee, a wee bit more clarity if it is new money and how they're going to spend it. But if anybody's going to make it work, Willie, what? And I would just say to the professor, I'm happy to listen to him and trust me, we've been on here saying it could be a good thing. Well, in 12 months' time, we will interrogate how we think the, the SNIB has done. Scotland play Ukraine on Wednesday as we bid to reach the World Cup finals. But of course, there's ScotRail cuts to services, meaning the last train from Glasgow to many towns and cities will leave before the game even kicks off. What impact are these cuts and cancellations having on the hospitality and entertainment sector and indeed on the nighttime economy, Willie? I think I said I've hinted at it last week, but I would say just now that I will guarantee you that the um, special advisor that advised the first minister it was a good idea to take ScotRail in-house. I don't think I'll be getting asked for any more advice. I think this is an absolute disaster. Talking about shooting yourself in the foot. The you know, the Scottish government has managed to blame the UK government for loads of things, and by the way, some of the things they should have been blamed for. But this is one that they've brought right to their door. So you have you put your head above the parapet. And the thing is, this is affecting voters every single day. So everyone may have an opinion about, you know, we gave up to 560 million and what did we get for it? Or we gave Ferguson Marine, blah, blah. No, people have a conversation. This is <laughs> this is a topic that is affecting people every single day. And I was told this week, Donald, not only is it scandalous that 700 services have been cut, I'm told that the services that have been running, it's been reduced carriages. I had a friend who told me they travelled in the train in first class through to Edinburgh last week and it was the first time in his life he'd ever seen where everyone could not get on the train. And when you did get on the train, even in first class, everyone just piled in and it was like sardines. He says it was the most unpleasant 45 minutes he's ever had in his life. Tom, what should we be doing to tackle it? Because there's another issue as well. There's a shortage of taxi drivers. So how do you get home from work, you know, at night now these days? First of all, let's go to the Go Radio football show. Willie knows more about it than me, but, you know, I'm kind of torn. I'm going to the game. We're going to welcome the Ukrainian ambassador to Scotland. But I think Ukraine should have got a buy. I think Willie said it last week because, my goodness, I think the rest of the world will be shouting for the Ukraine. (laughs) Scotland will be out on its own. But anyway, different thing. So here's my question. What makes seemingly intelligent people make the same mistakes again and again? Politicians cannot and should not be running businesses. I mean, come on. What what makes them think they can do a better job? Because history tells them they can't. Oh, goodness me. But to be fair, it wasn't in good shape when they took it over, which is probably one of the reasons they shouldn't have taken it over. This is, you know, we've got a lack of train drivers. So let's get to the nub of the problem here. So why have we got a lack of train drivers? I'm not quite sure. You know, they seem to be paid well, Maybe not well enough, according to Aslef, the union. 
but they seem to be of good terms and conditions. But somebody needs to get to the root problem here. Why is there not enough taxi drivers? Probably because they can't make enough money. I mean, that's a simple thing and we need to solve it. If the train drivers, is it just a matter of money? then we need to get on because the rail services in Scotland, the knock-on effect of this, we heard from Michael last week or the week before about the nighttime economy, etc. The ramifications for cutting 700 services, that's unbelievable, are just far and wide in Scotland, especially Scotland because of the islands and the remoteness of Scotland. So politicians shouldn't be running businesses but they should be helping get to the solution here. Absolutely. Well, going back to the game, sorry, which I didn't say. Unfortunately, I'll be at my brother's wedding in Turkey, so I'll miss the game. But but as I did say a few weeks ago, it is a shame for Ukraine how they can be up for this. I've got no idea. And as I said, UEFA and FIFA should have looked at this and we could have seen what we could have done for Ukrainians. But back to the point here about the railways. In business terms... This was not a takeover. This was a business that requires a turnaround. And Tom will tell you, it takes special people, right, to do that in business terms. You need very special people to do it. And again, just to finish on it, seriously, this could be the worst decision that the SNP's ever made. Well, we're now joined this morning by Stuart Patrick, Chief Executive of Glasgow's Chamber of Commerce for his monthly review. Welcome, Stuart. Thank you very much, Donald. After a two and a half year hiatus, the Chamber was able this month to get back on the international road with a trade mission to Norway, our last mission having been, perhaps ironically, to Shanghai and Hangzhou in China in December 2019. We took a group of Scottish renewable technology companies, including R3 IoT and Cayley Ocean Systems, to meet with some of the biggest names in Norwegian industry, courtesy of our Chamber Global Network friends at the British Norwegian Chamber of Commerce. Of course, the primary focus of our visit was to help make trading connections, and we were helped in that by Scottish Government Minister Richard Lockhead, but there were some clear messages we took away from our time in Oslo. Norway and Scotland have an enormous wealth of shared experience in the oil and gas industry that's now turning into an equally shared journey of transition to renewable energy and technologies. In Norway, we can learn from their extraordinary achievement in moving away from fossil fuel-powered cars to electric vehicles. Eight out of every ten cars bought in Norway last year was electric. And from a Norwegian perspective, our own success in mastering offshore wind is capturing their attention. But it wasn't all about renewables. Our base on the second visit day was the Oslo Epicentre, an entrepreneurial established and operated innovation hub bringing young technology companies together with some of the established names in global tech. And when I say young, I'm thinking of 22-year-old CEO Christopher Mo Lundqvist and his three-year-old real estate property management platform business Properly. His company now has some heroes to emulate given that from a near-standing start three years ago, Norway now has six unicorn businesses. Perhaps we could do with an epicentre or two in Glasgow and I look forward to seeing Bruntwood Skytech's proposals for their recent purchase of the Met Tower which we all know is the building off George Square with the enormous People Make Glasgow sign. There was some very good news for Glasgow coming out of the recent Research Excellence Framework results. The REF is carried out by the four UK higher education funding bodies and assesses the quality of research in the UK's universities, with the last assessment being back in 2014. 
All three of Glasgow's universities increased their rankings and that could be very good news for growing the flow of money going into their academic research. Also encouraging is the progress being made in response to the UK's designation of Glasgow as one of three innovation accelerators alongside Manchester and Birmingham. There's £100 million of levelling up funding to share between the three cities aiming to increase business investment in R&D. Companies in Glasgow are now working alongside the council and both Glasgow and Strathclyde universities with a new innovation partnership that is developing a set of fresh research projects that will match UK government funding with at least twice as much private investment. We have strengths and disciplines as diverse as photonics, space communications, precision medicine and nanotechnology to build upon. These investments could also be a major boost in the development of the city's three innovation districts. One of those innovation districts is centred on the University of Strathclyde, right next to the Met Tower. And innovation could play an important role in the reshaping of our battered city centre. The data for April shows that city centre footfall stabilising at a a monthly rate around 550,000 below pre-pandemic levels. There's a clear contrast, though, between weekend performance that's now 13% above pre-pandemic levels and the weekday performance, which is still well below. It was fascinating to see comparative data in the Financial Times last week showing UK peak weekday commuter numbers still more than 20% below pre-pandemic levels, more than double the levels in most other European countries, including Germany, Italy and France. The US and Canada were closer to the UK experience, making one wonder whether Anglo-Saxon countries are at the leading edge of new working practices or simply lagging behind in a return to the office. The spend data shows a mixed picture for Glasgow with food and drink expenditure as much as 65% ahead of pre-pandemic levels, but with much less impressive figures for retail. Our nighttime economy has been returning strongly, but there are concerns at the sustainability of that, given the recent restructuring of the ScotRail schedules and the loss of as much as a third of the taxi drivers we had before the pandemic struck. Throw in the continued incidence of antisocial behaviour and we have a lot of work to do alongside the city's new council administration to help Glasgow's city centre fully recover. Some positive news and some worrying one, as we say, particularly with the trains and the taxis. And, and of course, here in Glasgow, the subway doesn't run after midnight, Monday to Saturday, and uh, finishes at 6pm on a Sunday. When's that ever going to be fixed, Stuart? Oh, well, I'd hate to speak on behalf of uh, Strathclyde Partnership for Transport. I do know that they have some challenges, financial challenges, uh, in making the the subway run uh, after uh, after hours. And they have taken a bit of a hit during the pandemic. There wasn't. I'm not sure if they're still getting financial support, actually, at the levels that the bus and uh, train industry were. They are of an outlier, I have to say. And again, one of those... Uh, organisations that perhaps central government needs to have more negotiation with local government to ensure they're properly funded. You're being fair and reasonable, but if uh, Lord Hockey became Mayor Hockey for Glasgow, we'd be giving you a hard time. What would you do to sort it out, Willie? Well, I would certainly get some serious people to have a a, a real, real look at it. The problem we've got at the moment is, Stuart, at a time when we're all talking about going green, going green, we seem to be driving people away from public transport. Right, more and more people this week I'm talking to are getting, they're going in their car to Edinburgh now and they're coming back and it's it's a nightmare. They don't want to do it, but they tell me that the travelling through the train was unbearable. They're crammed. 
can't argue with that. I mean, if we are setting a target of reducing car kilometres by 20% by, I think it's 2030, it's incredibly difficult to see how you're going in the right direction by reducing the train schedules by a third. Yeah. Sure, we're going to keep coming back to that topic. But coming up after the break, we'll be talking to Brian Duffy, Chief Executive of the Watches of Switzerland Group. Don't forget, if you want to join the boardroom, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and if you ever miss an episode, simply subscribe to the Go Radio Business Show podcast. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping you with a wide range of business needs. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back, as in the latest of our brilliant series in Great Scots, we tell the story of Jim Mellon. James Mellon was born in February 1957 in Edinburgh, the son of a diplomat. Educated first at Ampleforth College and later Oxford, he graduated with a master's degree in politics, philosophy and economics. In 1979, Mellon worked as a trainee fund manager at GT Management and spent six months in Hong Kong before moving on to San Francisco. By 1984, he was ready to break out on his own and with partner Richard Thornton, he founded his own fund management company, Thornton Management. After only four years, he sold the company for £25 million, making him a millionaire aged just 28. He continued to prosper in financial services throughout the 1980s, forming a new investment vehicle, Region Pacific. But what he called his first really big break came during a business trip to Russia in 1994. He discovered Russian citizens were selling vouchers on the streets of Moscow, and that these vouchers could later be swapped for shares in Russian companies. Mellon arranged for a suitcase containing $2 million in cash to be flown in from London. And within a few days, he'd spent the lot, buying as many vouchers as he could get his hands on at around $25 a pop. A few weeks later, his new shares were worth $17 million. A new fund management firm, Charlemagne Capital, was also founded in the 1990s and listed on the stock market in 2006, netting Mellon a cool £55 million. The same year, he made £80 million selling shares in a uranium mine he'd founded just 12 months earlier for an investment of just $100,000. James Mellon remains a non-executive chairman at Region Pacific and holds posts on numerous other boards such as Fast Forward Innovations, Condor Gold PLC, the Barn Bray Group and Portage Biotech Inc. He is also the chairman of Manx Financial Group PLC, in which Brexiteer Adam Banks is a 25% owner. Indeed, Mellon holds the dubious distinction of introducing Adam Banks to the then UKIP party leader, Nigel Farage. Although he has dabbled in politics, donating up to £100,000 towards campaigns to leave the EU, Mellon now concentrates on his investments, including anti-aging technology. Having been a leading biotech investor for two decades, his latest venture is called Juvenescence, a venture capital and development company focused on modifying aging and increasing the human lifespan. On the rare occasions when he is not working, he divides his time between homes on the Isle of Man, New York, Ibiza and San Francisco, and maintains an interest in thoroughbred horses. 
What a smart operator, Willie. <laughs> you really need to be smart to find out that people are selling vouchers in the streets of Moscow and have an idea <laughs> to go and buy them. But uh, I've got to be honest, I don't know much about Jim Mellon, but uh, obviously I know a lot more about him now, but everything he seems to touch turns to gold. Indeed, Tom. Yeah, I met I met Jim actually at Strathclyde University. I think he probably maybe went to Strathclyde and um, a fascinating character. I mean, imagine going to a country saying they're selling vouchers and then getting two million of cash flown in. <laughs> I mean, that is <laughs> Try that real today. entrepreneurship. And then, Willie, I think the anti-aging thing, I think you and me need to invest in that, old boy. Well, you speak for yourself. I think I'm doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> We're now joined by Brian Duffy, Chief Executive of the Watches of Switzerland Group. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hi, Donald. Nice to be here. Thanks for asking me. Oh, it's great to have you on. Um, looking at your uh, career and life, it seems to be very interesting spanning Castle Milk, Balonach, Kirkintilloch to Paris, New York, Geneva and London. Talk us through that journey. Well, you know, I, I grew up in a house in schemes of Glasgow, starting in Castle Milk and then uh, Balonach. So that, yeah, that was my upbringing. I became a chartered accountant, which... Uh, uh, then led to me uh, getting into commerce. I went to Playtex, actually. I uh, first became the uh, CFO at a relatively young age of 28, um, then became the European CFO, so that was us off to Paris. Um, lived in Paris for three years. So our youngest son was born in Paris. Uh, I learned French. I always tell people that you know, my accent, I, I think it's still a strong Glasgow accent, even stronger then. And people who thought they were bilingual, uh, then thought otherwise when they uh, when they met me. So I, I, really, <laughs> I really had to learn French, which I was pleased to do. And, and after a few years, I then went to the States, about a worldwide CFO of, uh, of Playtex. Uh, still pretty young then, still 33. Um, we were a leveraged buyout back then that kind of led to us all eventually making some, uh, uh, some important money that kind of changed our lives for sure. And by that time, we'd become part of the Sierra Lee Corporation, um, I then faced the opportunity of should we stay in the States and pretty much if we had stayed then I think that would have been our life but we decided you know aging parents and all that we wanted to come back to the UK um, and I came back to London became the MD of Playtex in the UK um, then then my career from then on became much more about marketing branding Sarah Lee that owned us owned a brand called Wonderbra that I managed to get hold of and uh, and that was my first big marketing project was uh, was launching Wonderbra, which was a phenomenal success. So you're the one that was uh, responsible for all the billboards and stopping traffic? <laughs> yeah, I, I bought those billboards. I paid for them. I, I can't. Uh, so in that sense, I was responsible. People <laughs> often say, did you choose evil? And the answer is, who wouldn't? Um, <laughs> but it, it was a hugely successful campaign uh, Wonder Bra. It was actually voted 10 years later as the most successful outdoor advertising campaign in the UK of all time. Wow. Um, so wow. Was, yeah, a hell of a thing to be the first project. So anyway, I did other things in Sierra Lee, um, uh, eventually um, and did an unusual thing, went back to college to uh, to do music, to do uh, guitar, contemporary music. Um, and I was doing a degree in contemporary music Never really expecting to get to the end of it, but I wanted to do something that took up my time and that I always had wanted to do. So that's what I was doing. And then along came Ralph Lauren as the opportunity to um, be the president of Ralph Lauren. That's what took me to Geneva. 
uh, where I was for nine years, commuting at first, and then my wife, uh, Helen, came out and I uh, had a few more years then and came back to London. Enjoyed um, Ralph very much, but it was like constant travel. It was New York every month. I had Europe and the Middle East, and so I was constantly on the road and had kind of had enough of that. And left then with a view to get into a private equity-owned business, which then eventually led me to joining the group that I'm with today. They were then called the Autumn Group. Uh, back then, the biggest uh, retailer of, uh, of Rolex in, in the UK and other brands. Um, and we've had a great success with that. You know, it was a business doing around 300 million uh, back then. And this year, we'll do 1.5 billion. Wow. Uh, yes, yeah, anyway, so that was our travels and along the way. Four great kids and now five great grandkids and, and, and pretty settled in London. <laughs> Brian, it's some story. Um, I, I seen something this morning on Bloomberg that I'd like to ask you about. Uh, the chairman of Valentino was on and he was actually saying that during lockdown, luxury items have actually been flowing off the shelves. Yep. Um, have have you found that there's been a big uptake in, in luxury brands actually doing better during lockdown? Yeah, I actually really just reported last week to the stock exchange of results for the year through to April, and we were uh, we were up forty percent uh, for the year. Uh, we're up sixty percent compared to the pre-COVID period, um, and the the whole luxury category has done well, especially done well in America, done well here too, but especially well in America. Um, why it is that um, you know we can all speculate. Part of it, of course, is people not having the opportunity of, you know, travelling and socialising and everything we've all been through. So yeah. there was less way to spend your money. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, luxury tends to benefit during, you know, economic uh, challenging periods as well. Like yeah. when the ruble crisis happened in Russia, everybody bought every carty and Rolex they could find, you know, because yes. it was a way of kind of investing the money securely, you know. Yeah. I, watching Bloomberg this morning, the, the chairman of Valentino uh, um, said that uh, unfortunately during uh, the pandemic, the rich got richer, so they spent their money. But uh, Tom, yeah. was that you? Were you buying more watches? Um, well, I always, I always do my watch shopping with Brian and um, and... It is true, during the pandemic, I wanted to buy a couple of watches as presents. And, and Brian said, you'll not believe it, Tom, we are actually short of stock, um, which is the first time I've ever came across that. And I, I thought he was just fobbing me off, but he was actually telling the truth. So, Brian, it's, it's a delight to have you on the show this morning. I think we, we first met when I when I bought Cruise, and Cruise had gone bust in Glasgow and... Um, so the old business owed Ralph Lauren money, yep. which wasn't my responsibility. But you and I met in Glasgow and you said, Tom, you've got to pay for that. And I said, but it's not my responsibility. And he says, I know that, but you need to pay me. So that was our first meeting, Brian. So that could have, <laughs> that could have gone very badly. Yeah. <laughs> it's been downhill ever since. Yeah. It's been downhill yeah. ever since. And there's no but, doubt Brian, he didn't pay you. No, no, I did, I did, I did pay him. Brian was very straightforward to do business with, and um, we got on like a house on fire. But I mean, it's an amazing story from from Castle Milk to New York. I mean, it's very unusual for someone in an accountancy background to become creative. Is what do you think about today's kids, um, Brian? So people who are listening to this show who are thinking maybe. This is maybe a route I could go. Have you got any 
have you got any wee tips for anybody listening this morning who would say, look, I'm I'm sitting in Castle Milk today, so how can I improve my lot? What do you think? Well, you know, I think honestly, it's tougher today uh, than it was in, in my generation, but but not impossible. Um, and you know, people often you know ask me how come you finish up from a life in Castle Milk to you know a life you know trading and, and luxury and, and everything else that they've done and travelling around the world and. I always say, you know, just being in the right place at the right time. But um, that is part of it. But you also got to, you know, take the opportunity and, and push yourself forward. So the biggest advice I would give, uh, coming from an underprivileged background, like I know we all did, um, is to just believe in yourself. Turn, turn, don't ever be a victim. Don't ever make it, you know, your excuse for, for not getting there. Um, take it as an advantage. And um, I've often seen it as an advantage. I often say... I understand why people buy luxury because I, I grew up with no luxury. I used to look in the window of Mapping and Web and say, how can people afford this? <laughs> uh, but I, I asked myself the question, what motivates people to spend £20,000 on a handbag or 100000 on a watch? And uh, I had no kind of reference, so you really got to try and understand the psyche. So turn, turn everything like that into an advantage. Don't be a victim. Be proud of your background, uh, but just you know, believe in yourself and the get out there because it's there I think today is more of a meritocracy if you really can get out there and, and show yourself then uh, you can succeed yeah and, and, and Brian can I just ask you we've been talking about leadership in the programme this morning and um, you you're one of the great leaders I could see it in you the minute I met you but you you've had to report to various different bosses from Ralph Lauren himself yeah. to a private equity owner. What's the kind of difference of approach of these two ownership structures? Uh, I mean, it's kind of really different. Um, you know, and what I why I wanted to get into private equity is that there's no ambiguity in private equity. You're judged according to you know the numbers, the results. That's you know it's a hundred percent of the focus and uh, and. When I get into private equity with the group I get into Apollo, I made it really clear, you know, you, you guys buy the company, I'll invest in the company uh, with you, but I'm running the business. And uh, I don't, if I need any help, I'll let you know, but other than that, I'm running the business. And did they accept that, right? Well, they did. Uh, and because we kept performing, um, you know, then then they judged it to be right, you know, that uh, um, so had we missed numbers at any time then the private equity, um, bad side of private, private equity would have kicked in and they'd been bringing in consultant thinking they knew better or whatever but I made it clear up front and then we, we delivered from the beginning on, and we were always you know a fundamental of management and business that uh, you guys know really well is you've got to manage expectations and always be ahead of expectations which we were um, dealing with Ralph was a, was a very different situation it's um, you know it's an eponymous company it's as he often says his name over the door uh, and when you're dealing with luxury, you have this conflict between uh, commercial and creative people who live for the brand status and, and then the others who just live for doing the numbers. So if it's somebody like Ralph, you've got to be delivering, you've got to get uh, you know scope to be doing what you do. But Ralph was never sure of me from the beginning. Uh, he took a lot of convincing. Oh, really? Um, oh, yeah, because I didn't come out of luxury, as, as we've been discussing. Uh -huh. and, and, and Ralph's view was you had to be in it for life. You understand what he called the mystique of the luxury brand. 
All right. Um, so it, it took a bit of convincing, but uh, our big, my big turnaround with Valve is when I launched his brand in, uh, in Moscow, which was hugely successful. And uh, Ralph's parents were Russian. All right. And uh, the whole thing, uh, Russian Jewish immigrants into into the US. And Ralph grew up in humble circumstances in the in the Bronx, and uh, and again had a vision. You know, he, he created his business famously with twenty six boxes of ties in nineteen sixty seven. Wow. <laughs> Willie, you'll be pleased to know I often said to him that was the second most famous thing that happened in 1967. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Oh, dearie. Up, up me. to his will that the anniversary was just yesterday, Brian. Yes. Yeah. We don't want to upset Donald. <laughs> Tom yeah. says we keep trying to turn this into the football show rather than the business show. But, yeah. Brian, it's a phenomenal story. Um, obviously, your title is CEO of Watches of Switzerland, but tell, tell me, listeners, Few the brand names so that you know when they're out shopping to, to, to visit your shops. Well, this will take a while because we've been referencing <laughs> every luxury watch brand in the world, just about. But the biggest for Rolex, uh, Patek, Philippe, uh, Audemars Piguet, Cartier, Omega, wow. Lightning, Tiger, Tudor, IWC, Panerai. And the UK market, by the way, is the best luxury watch market in the world, which would surprise wow. people. Wow. Why, why yeah. is that, did you think, Brian? Uh, I mean, I, I think it's a category. I grew up aspiring to one day own a Rolex, and as we've been discussing from our backgrounds, it's maybe not a practical aspiration, but I did, you know. And I think we've always really kind of valued the status and everything of a watch. But I do think, um, clearly, our group we we have almost half of the UK market, so I think we can claim some credit for the the status of luxury watches, but. The reason I make that claim is that we 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 have, we have now moved internationally. So when I took over this business, it was UK only, and it was UK all the way through to 2018. Uh, we then bought some businesses in, uh, in America. have expanded in America. We now do 600 million dollars in America. Wow! Uh, yeah, it's 35 percent of our business, and we've gone public and said we're going to increase it by a minimum of 30 percent every year for the foreseeable. Uh, future, but when we uh, so when you look at the sales, the measure we used is to look at the sales per capita, literally taking the sales of luxury watches divided by the population. So you get the sales per capita, and the UK is double the US. Wow, double the US. Wow. But Brian, early in my career, someone told me when you meet new business guys and I try to impress you, always look at their watch and their shoes. Right. So uh, my question to you is, when does Martin and Webb start selling shoes? (laughs) You know, it's true, Willie, I always say, but uh, people, when you walk into a watch store, not ours, but you walk into watch stores in Geneva or Paris, if they can't see your wrist, they will look at your shoes to try and immediately get an assessment of. Amazing. It's funny, I remember walking into an antique shop in Las Vegas in the the boy who was the proprietor was looking and they had they had this staircase that went up the stair and it had a rope across it you couldn't go up and and Susan walked past and the guy looked at her rings and he opened the rope yeah. <laughs> seriously didn't say a word he just opened the rope you know so yeah so definitely I will I will remember that and um, obviously I've um, spent many a Christmas Eve in uh, in your stores in Glasgow trying to get a last minute present for people yeah. but uh, it's uh, what a story Brian phenomenal absolutely phenomenal Bro- so Brian can yeah. I can I ask you um, I, I know you've got a great um, passion for Scotland and Scotland as a brand 
Have you any aspirations, maybe down the line, once you've um, finished up at Watch of Switzerland, of coming back to Scotland and doing something with, with a brand in Scotland? You know, I, I always have had that dream, Tom, and I know you and I have talked about it over the years, and I think there's the real potential. I think we totally undermarket Scotland. Uh, and I think something that I've really learned as I've travelled around the world is just highly, highly regarded we are. We're very, very popular. Um, there's a lot in our character and history that the world gives us credit for. You know, our, our, um, our, our honesty, our, our, our positive aggression, our sense of humour. And within all of that, you'd be surprised to hear this, a kind of sense of, of style as well. Uh, we've got a lot of heritage, obviously, in tweeds and tartans and and uh, military-type uh, inspiration. So there's, there's so much that I'm cashing it, obviously, in the in will. You know that I do, you know, and I know you do too, Tom, with Glasgow Caledonian. Yeah. Uh, I've given various, and I'm, um, you know, talks to students there. And whatever. But if I can influence younger people. But the biggest single thing, just to come back to an earlier comment, just be confident about it. Just just believe. Don't think that in order to be successful, it all has to be about price. You know, believe in brand, believe in heritage and status. And uh, we've got tons of it in Scotland that is totally undermarketed. So, Brian, you're giving advice there, but what's the best advice and support you've been given throughout your career? Uh, it's uh, that's a hard one. Um, uh, never, you know, never risk what you can't afford to lose. Um, you know, I think as entrepreneurs, and there's, there's Billy and Tom, great entrepreneurs throughout their careers. I don't know if they would agree with that comment. I think when you're young, you take risks and whatever, but you know, but as you get through life, I think the, the advice I was given never uh, never risk what you can't afford to lose. Spend more time managing in a corporate world, managing expectation than you almost do managing uh, performance. Um, so I'm in a lot of great advice along the way. And if you look back at those early days, did you ever imagine you'd be so successful? I mean, I wanted to say, or is it inbuilt in that you know, Glaswegian? I'm going to make it. But uh, every. I never I always say to people, I never plan five years ahead. You just take what's in front of you, you get hold of it and you get on with it. Um and I always believed I would be successful. Um, you know, and particularly with what we've done recently going in the stock market. So we went in the stock market, by the way, with this business in 2019, uh, over a share price of a uh, two seventy-four. It's um it hit fifteen uh within the wow. two years. And with the sell-off has been recently, we're still around, uh, still around ten. Um, the business was bought for 125 million by Apollo, and we have a market cap now of uh, of over two billion. So, Brian, I know part of your success, you like to give back, and I know you're involved with the hospice up up here in Scotland. Do you want to tell us a wee bit about that? I tell you, I love what they do at the hospice in, uh, in, uh, in Belarus. And I get approached by them, I don't know, five years, maybe longer ago when they were trying to raise funds to build the hospice. Um, and they're a really inspira inspirational uh, group uh, that are there. So I, I set up a, a London uh, committee. Uh, uh, we launched the programme with the Watch Your Switzerland events. We then started to, we've done now two great events in the Coglinos for them. Uh, one, Lulu came along and performed. She was fantastic. And then just uh, back in the December, last December, Texas, Charlene in Texas came along and performed for us. Brilliant. And um, on, the, on that night, 
we uh, in total raised uh, 600,000. Wow. Wow. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah, we've raised over a million for them. and uh, But, I mean, a lot of people have raised a lot of money, but I, I was delighted to do that. There's a, a diaspora of Glaswegians down here, including me, uh, west of Scotland. And, uh, you know, we all can get touched for the emotion of how, how can we help people at home. Nah, well, listen, good on you, Brian. It's a brilliant, inspirational story this morning. Castle Milk to New York. But listen, more, more power to your elbow. Yeah. We we'll look forward to seeing you soon. All the best. Brian, thank you. And thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Brian. My pleasure. Cheers. Bye. Take care. After the break, we go into the boardroom where Tom and Willie answer your questions and offer free business advice. If you want to take part, simply email your questions to gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and if you ever miss an episode, simply subscribe to the Go Radio Business Show podcast. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print and IT solutions. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back as we go into the boardroom with Hunter and Hockey and answer your calls with free business advice, insight and inspiration. If you want your questions read out in the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. So we're going to our phone lines now and our caller is Laura Lawson. Welcome to the show, Laura. Hi there, thanks for having me. Well, we're delighted to have you. So before you ask your question for Tom and Willie, tell us a wee bit about yourself and your business. So my business is I'm a mobile massage therapist. So at present, I attend people's homes and workplaces. Obviously, during COVID, all the workplaces and homes I wasn't able to go to, but that's all starting to come back. And I've been able to go back to people's homes since last May. But workplaces are still a bit of a problem. Places like the BBC and such, where I actually usually work, um, they're still not letting people like myself into the building just to you know, keep transmission levels down. Basically, that's what I'm doing just now. OK, and what's your question for Tom and Willie? My question is, being in the wellness sector, I've been trying to approach companies about allowing people like myself, holistic practitioners, into the workplace to help lower stress and prevent long-term sick. My question really to both of you is, what advice would you give businesses if they were, like people like myself, were approaching them? And is there any advice you'd give to people like myself on how best to reach these businesses? Really? Morning, Laura. Um, I can tell you through experience that um, one of the things that we've done a number of years ago was that we thought it was a good idea. We've got about somewhere between 600 and 900 people in our main office every day. And I thought it would be really good if we had a doctor would come in once a month and give advice to people and know if anyone had any problems at all, they could go and see them in private. And that was a roaring success. Roaring success. In fact, you know, we had to talk about the doctor maybe coming in a bit more because it was so in demand. We have never taken it to the next level. You know, we, we, we don't have any visiting therapists or whatever, but we have certainly encouraged that. And we have a small 
working council group and I would certainly ask them what they thought about that. But um, I, I think that the, the way for you to get into other businesses is just keep, the way you have done, is just keep knocking on doors. I think you'd mentioned that you'd managed to, you know, convince the BBC it was a good idea. If you can convince a corporation of that size, it's a good idea. I think it's just a case of you, you know, not giving up and writing to as many people as you can. Maybe maybe offering, like, you know, to come in for a trial one day, no cost, see how it works, see what the, the workers think. But I, I think that there's, there's, there's a lot of, head offices now in Glasgow that are employing hundreds of people in the one building. So I, I think there's a big, big opportunity for you. So just keep chopping doors. That would be my advice. Tom, any other advice? Yeah, morning, Laura. The good news for you this morning, Laura, is that the wellness sector is a huge and growing sector and every employer is talking about it because the attraction and retention of talent is becoming more difficult for employers. Therefore, anything employers can do to keep the people they've got and attract new talent, and I think you are part of this. So therefore, very simple advice from me this morning is sell the benefits and make it an easy ask of the employer. Make it as easy as possible for them to say, okay, we'll give it a go. And then once you're in, hopefully the employee's get the benefit of what you're offering and then it begins to snowball. So keep it simple. Understand the benefits that you're offering the employer, first of all, because that's who's going to let you in the door and then an easy ask of them to get you in. And listen, best of luck and keep in touch with the show. Let us know how you got on. I really wish you luck with it. Laura, can I give you one more tip? Yes, Ask them... Offer to do a pilot, right? Okay. Offer them just to try it. Just to try it one time and see what the feedback is for people. And even as part of your marketing, you want to do that one day free, right? But offer to do a pilot. And in my my experience, nine times out of ten when you get a pilot, you get the business. Great. Mm-hmm. So, Laura, you've got a chance here to reach out to our listeners. Promote your business. How do people get in touch if there's anybody wanting to take advantage of your services? Okay, so I'm on all the socials. I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. But you probably best contact me through my website, which is www.holisticwellbeingscotland.com. And you can reach me on there. It gives you my price list and all the different therapies I offer. And obviously you can just give me a call. That's brilliant, Laura. Wish you the very best of luck. Good luck. Unfortunately, that's the last show in this series as we are taking a summer break. But don't worry, we'll be back in September. Well, some of us are taking a summer break. (laughs) Anyway, don't worry, we'll be back in September. And if you're missing us, you can catch all the previous episodes by simply subscribing to the Go Radio Business Show podcast. Don't forget, we welcome your input. So if there are any changes or additions you would like to the show, please give us feedback by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or get involved by visiting thisisgo.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Providing secure archive storage to your business. Go.